Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. People can change anything they want to. And that means everything in the world. Show me any country and there'll be people in it. It's time to take the humanity back into the center of the ring and follow that for a time. You know, think on that. Without people, you're nothing. Without people, you're nothing. Stoke the fire. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Stoke the Fire. Uh, as always, we're your hosts, Matt Stocks and Jesse Leach. You may see I'm in a, another new surrounding again if you're watching this on YouTube, and you may notice I sound a little different because I'm using just basically iPhone headphones at this stage. Um, my life's just in boxes, Jesse. It's, it's all over the shop at the moment. I'm moving house. Well, I'm in the new house. I'm here. But you know how it goes. It, it takes forever to pack up your life and then unpack it again doesn't it yeah it's a very unsettling feeling but once you once you get there you're gonna love it i think it's the that transitional time you're gonna look back on and remember living out of boxes but mm-hmm. uh, i'm glad you made the move man and you know as we were talking before the we started the show just on certain times again here <clears throat> excuse me uh with this new variant and you know people the fears back up and places to start to shut down and it's a very again uncertain times so it's affected uh, the mental a little bit for both you and i it seems so how's it going with you man i'm a little bit apprehensive in all honesty dude um i was very excited for next year up until about two days ago um obviously you know new city new home new chapter new start so that's all good and exciting um but i i booked in about five months worth of like amazing live events and gigs and tours some of the best most exciting things I've ever had the chance to have done. Um, On January the 3rd, we were going to be starting a Hot Wheels monster truck live tour in the UK in Glasgow. Uh, That was going to be the first of a series of dates around the UK with me hosting. Biggest gigs of my life in arenas around the country. You know, great payday that was going to take care of me for, you know, a while. And um, the Glasgow date, which was the first one, has already been pushed back to March, which isn't the end of the world. But I'm just really apprehensive as to whether or not the rest of them are going to go ahead as scheduled. Then I've got a Q&A tour with Keith Buckley locked in for February, which I'm now also kind of umming and ahhing as to whether that's going to go ahead because I'm not sure if it's the same over there, but over here, loads of bands are already postponing and or cancelling altogether um, January, February, and even March tour dates for the UK next year. So as you said, it's like just when we thought we were out of the woods, the strange times return. I know it's crazy, man. Yeah. It's definitely happening here in New York too. You know, they just uh, announced the other day, going to have masks on again. Cause we were starting to move out of the mask phase a bit and now it's back on. And yeah, it's just, it's one of those things. Perspective is everything. And you know, when you just make a move, like you just did, that's, that's a huge bummer. Cause you have to, you know, a lot of money up front to make that happen. So yeah. I, I certainly hope for the best for you, man. But, you know, we've been through this before and we're 
both survivors and you're definitely a hustler so i know you got this no matter what we'll figure it out man it's just so- bobbing and waving in that that's it brother <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not make her wait any longer. I'm really excited for this chat. And I think we, we need this lady in our life right now. Uh, this is the last episode of the year as well. So it's cool to go out on what I know is going to be a really positive note. Um, I'm excited for you to meet her and get to know her as well. So without further ado, let's welcome on to Stoke the Fire episode 44, my friend, Billy Pettinger. Come on down, Billy. Imagine if I just didn't show up. <laughs> the intro was too long. I'm out. I've been here the whole time. <laughs> Hi. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Doing good. All things considered. I heard two- it all. I heard everything that you were just saying. <laughs> two thumbs up from me. Um, you're looking extremely festive. I love what you got going on there. What does it say on your Christmas jumper? Uh, I find your lack of cheer disturbing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I almost yeah, so. bought that sweater on the internet. That's so funny. I love so it. I'm glad you're not wearing the same sweater as me. It's going to be really weird if this comes out in July. <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have had like a Christmas party thing going on. I wish I'd have thought of that. Um, and you've even got a Santa hat and a guitar in the background. So are you in your studio right now, your home studio in Alabama? Is that where you're at? Yeah. Yeah. So I like I like teach music lessons online. And a lot of my students are younger. So this is half for them, half for me. And you've got pizza, your that pizza behind you? That's pizza, your dog in the background. Second that's, dog appearance on Stoke the Fire. It's such, it's like such a perfect picture, just like hanging out in the chair. That's, that's She's there all the time. I've, I've been doing this weird thing, uh, 12 Days of Christmas songs, and she hasn't been in here because she'll like move around or bark at the mailman who's down the road. So she hasn't been able to be in her spot for most of this week. So she's happy to be back. So cute. Pizza Fox ankle socks. <laughs> she looks very regal, very regal, especially in that it's chair. The chair. But, but, yeah, no, but it's, it's the, the pose. Chair. It's the pose as well. Yeah, she's sort of like checking us out. Like, what are these dudes all about? Good dog. <laughs> yeah. Stranger good dog. danger. Stranger danger. Um, Billy, I'd like to, before we get into the story of your life, which I'm excited to hear. <laughs> We've known each other a while, but there's loads and loads about you I don't know. So we're going to go down that rabbit hole today, if that's okay. But the last time I spoke to you, we were having a little chat about meditation. You you were saying you've been getting into it in a big way as of late. I'd love to just touch on that quickly because in this time of like stress and uncertainty, um, perhaps you could shed some light on, you know, the beneficial and, and positive elements to that practice how it's changed your life i know jesse's you know a lot more schooled in that area than me as well so maybe we could just jam on that for a little bit first yeah for sure i mean the the term school like everybody's on their own path and you'll they'll find what works for you when when you need it and when you're ready for it um let's see it started because i'm uh, really flawed like a lot of humans and i'm always trying to fix my brain So, um, the more that I read about fixing a flawed brain, I just kept coming back to this and also like having any habit and practicing it every day. Um, so yeah, we talk a lot about mental health and ADD and everything is so messed up in the world. If you want to try to fix your brain, I think the best way to do it is to just turn off all the crap in your house and sit quietly, even if it's like five minutes. Um, and, and don't like, You don't need to expect a result immediately, you know, like of all the projects, the crazy stuff that I've 31 songs, all this stuff that has been taking up my time. um, You really don't see any benefit in anything until you do it for like a month. 
So like, you know, walking, exercise, quitting coffee, whatever like you're doing, uh, don't quit for like a month. Sounds like a long time, but just, you know, every day wake up, I'm going to do five minutes and then maybe you find 10 minutes works. So, yeah. Yeah, I can. I can and this is not like, a, I figured it out. I'm, you know, like I meditate now. Like I look at me, I'm so Zen. No, it's still like tough to get my butt to sit in the chair and do it every day. Well, it's practice. I mean, practicing being mindful and, you know, that's a misconception with people with meditation is you got to sit there with a robe on and stare at a candle and be very Zen like for, you know, like a half hour, two hours. And you have this out of body experience when <laughs> halfway there. Perfect. <laughs> When it could be two minutes and sometimes that two minutes is profound. You know, I, I definitely need that because I have anxiety, high anxiety um, and weird sort of, I've learned so much about anxiety this past year and a half, two years or so um, that it's such I a, com- it's such a complex thing to deal with. So it's a constantly evolving thing, but yeah, meditation and just breathing, deep breathing exercises have been huge for me. Like just learning how to breathe properly because a lot of us don't breathe properly. And that's a huge issue for a lot of people. It causes stress and health problems. And it's funny, the more you research it, the more you know like how important it is just to sit still, let the brain take a breath, really. Did you get into the breathing thing as a singer? Or, how, or was it anxiety that led you? Definitely uh, as a singer first. Uh, doing uh, warm-ups, learning how to use my voice properly. I have a teacher, Melissa Cross, who taught me how to speak differently even but it was all from her and then that breathing exercise the more i did it the more i started to feel meditative and doing these the warm-ups that she has me do too where you're resonating the note and you know i do these e sounds that resonate in my skull i want to hear let's can we hear one can you do it uh i got a middle c there's my piano on Me, 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 me. It rings right into your whole skull, and I do I a robe, and we're set. I do a bunch of those, and um, I started to get like a bit of a body buzz from it. So I was out in the woods doing my meditation because I'm a huge nature boy, and I actually ate a bunch of mushrooms. And I climbed this tree, Just like randomly, or <laughs> like I was. A, it was like a vision quest thing I had planned a long time ago. And I was doing my vocal warm-ups up in a tree on the top of a mountain. Okay, I'm not, this is not a joke. Sounds and I had a eureka real, moment. Right, Matt? <laughs> Dude, I had a eureka moment about not just my voice, but, you know, animals, how all animals have a resonant noise, like elephants and, you know, these creatures that make these incredible noises. And we as humans are actually pretty capable of some incredible noises ourselves, how a baby can cry for hours. So my brain went to this whole other, and I actually texted my vocal teacher (laughs) it was like i I wish i still had the text and she's just laughing like wow you're on a journey but from that moment on it was like (laughs) it's all connected the breathing and the the vocal warmness and meditation and being still it's all connected to being a better performer and a better singer and a better human really heard (laughs) i heard that hey man have you cut your hair short buddy it looks nice it's a new do that is uh no one know, knows what's going on like that yeah this part shaved I, I i donated like uh, 12 or something inches of hair for the third time this year and so i decided i was gonna have crazy hair for a while while i while it, i start to is, do that again is that to like um cancer survivors um for wigs or yeah yeah my hair yeah. grows pretty fast so it's it wasn't a big deal to every like three years or so 
That's great. I love it. So, love Billy, you too. How uh, how far back do we go? Do we go all the way back? I don't like my memory is so shit still. Like all this, <laughs> all this. Like I meditate and I try to fix my brain. Like there's a lot I don't remember still. I'll do my best. Okay. What do you want to well, know? Well, Let's where do this. You, where did you grow up? Whereabouts were you? You know, kind of born and raised. I don't know if I ever grew up, but I was born in British Columbia in Canada, um, in Surrey. There's a Canadian version of that place. You guys what have versions of everything over there. New York, New Jersey, Surrey. British Columbia. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Were your, were your folks together? Were they still married? Up, up yeah, they're like, together. They're st- I left home pretty early. I left you- home when I was, yeah, we're good now. Um, but I was on my own for a little bit when I was like 12 to 14. I lived with some neighbors and then and a really cool aunt who I'm still in touch with, who's not even blood related to me. Um, and then I was in foster care for a minute. Um, and then I was 18. And when you're in foster care in Canada, they go, well, you're 18. You better get your own place and you're on your own now, kid. Yeah, we actually had a listener from Canada um, who had been through the, the care home system, you know, pretty much his whole life on the show a while back and some of the stories which he shared were you know heartbreaking but like um what if you don't mind talking about it what was the incentive for you to to pack up and leave when you were 12 all the things like i I left a bunch of times i just like okay my my parents would fight a lot but in a way that like the cops would come to the house sometimes um and my mom really drank she's since been through recovery and like did a couple detoxes but when i was like 11 and 12 i just did not have the coping skills to to be in that house um and now like i work with kids and i meet somebody that's 12 and i just go man that's how old i was when i just like walked out the front door several times like no plan no idea where i was going to go the only thing i knew is that anywhere would be better than one more day in that house. And again, like I'm good with my parents now. We've worked things out, uh, but it started with them working some stuff out. And now I have this like fierce independence. Like I will just straight walk up out the door if anything is like remotely bad. Um, but yeah, I remember like sleeping under park slides and finding cars that were unlocked um, if it was cold or raining. Yeah, I was going to say in Canada, that's pretty intense, especially in the winter. So was that, was that just you, you, did you have help? Did you have people go, well, come stay with me? Or are you just like, I'm out, I'll figure it out. Or was there anyone? It started with, I'm out, I'll figure it out. Um, and maybe me 10 years ago, I might've said, yeah, I was on my own. I did it all by myself. But like, I had a ton of help. I had neighbors and family members. Um, even like there was this thing called uh, Surrey Reconnect Services for Street Kids. I don't even really know what they did to this day, but they would like buy me a Slurpee sometimes or just kind of hang out with me. Um, so yeah, there, there was a, a ton of help along the way. And I was lucky that I, I was born in Canada. So I had access to maybe some more social programs that other kids don't. I don't even think Reconnect is still around anymore. But yeah, I, I had a ton of help looking back. It took me several decades to realize that though. 
do you think there was lasting effects, you know, as you're older and wiser looking back, being in foster care? And do you ever have those feelings that you wrestle with, you know, surface up about, you know, abandonment issues? Or is it all because you left, you didn't see it that way? How do you deal with that? How did that manifest in your older life? Oh, all the stuff. I mean, all, yeah, all, all, the, all the things. And even like my working memory problems, things like I can't remember a phone number. You know, does that have to do with how my brain evolved as I was growing up? Is it like a learning deficit? You know, I think every situation that we go through, we, we carry something from it, whether good or bad. And when stuff's going on and you're like literally developing, like, you know, your brain is growing. You're every time you learn a new skill, you're creating neural pathways and just for every day to be so unstable, you know, up until 20 something. Yeah. Of course I have to look back and be like, okay, maybe like, it's not all my fault. Like (laughs) maybe, maybe I'm just a product of my environment, but in the same breath, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's up to us. So then I'm about to raise my hand. Not now. I do not want to raise my hand now. It's up to us with you know, what we do with whatever the thing is, whether it happened yesterday or 30 years ago. So as you, you get like, I'm good with it now. Like it's, it's a thing that happened. Um, I've, t- I've talked about it a ton. So I don't feel like as, oh, wow, this, this happened to me. And that's so awful. Like I have a lot of coping mechanisms for better, for worse. I, ha- I got a lot of skills from just being like, well, peace, you know, like being 19 and just like booking a tour with no idea how to like all the things that I've done in my life. I can attribute now to those moments of just going, I don't know how I'm going to figure it out, but I know that I will. What age did music come in then, Billy? Were you always interested in music from as far back as you can remember? Was there a moment? Was there like an artist? How did music get introduced to you in the way that you were, you know, inspired to go about making and, and, and sharing your own? Right. So as much as like me leaving home is a part of my story, um, my parents being supportive of me is also part of my story because they put me in piano lessons when I was in, I, I was seven and then I was about 11 and they got me a classical guitar, which I thought was super not cool. And I wanted an electric guitar because uh, the album Nevermind had just come out and that's what I was into. So when I uh, left that situation, music was literally the only thing I had. You know, I didn't have an, my own instrument for a long time, but my high school, somebody donated a bunch of instruments. So we would like learn songs from Guitar World and teach each other and like borrow them and take them home. So I remember when I didn't feel like I had friends, I didn't know where I was going to sleep. Like I had this little tape recorder and this notebook and I would, you know, talk about my feelings to nobody and at least have a, like a resource somewhere to get them out. Um, so yeah, music is always, I mean, from the age of seven, I was playing and I think pretty early on, I was starting to write stuff. I was never really interested in doing what anybody told me. Uh, so I was, you know, you put an instrument in front of me. I was like, Hey, make, I can make sounds. I can make this song. So I think that, yeah, I don't know how, you know, if I would have ended up in one, you know, for a second, I was playing like classical music on the piano and I took like classical guitar lessons. So that's, 
a part of my background, but I was like hugely into punk rock. So all my first bands were punk rock. So who, who knows, like if what if you could just remove one part of that story, how different it would be? Maybe not at all. Maybe maybe this was always my timeline. That's unique to have the classical sort of background there to springboard off of and then go into punk rock. And uh, I couldn't help but hear the song Something in the Way in my head when you mentioned Nirvana. It was still such a prolific, sad song. And I can Are hear- you a little bit psychic? <laughs> <laughs> um and i've been told i have a sixth sense but i don't i don't believe i'm psychic now but um i can hear some of that influence in your music and that it's interesting you mentioned that i could sort of picture a young girl wandering around and you mentioned the tape recorder and a notebook i i definitely had the same thing i you know got into poetry. you're psychic okay <laughs> <laughs> i'm yeah. trying to play it real cool and be like i'm fine now and i'm about to cry yeah i remember listening to that song on repeat in a forest I didn't know where I was going to sleep that night. And then the batteries died. <laughs> I mean, to this day, that song is is prolific, you know, and, and growing up around that age too, Nirvana was that band. Like, you know, I was really into punk rock and hardcore, kind of the heavier stuff. And Nirvana was a dirty word in the punk community because it was like, it wasn't really punk, but they I remember, ruined it. <laughs> but I remember hearing that particular song and yeah, being teary eyed because that's around the time that I, I started to have really depressive thoughts. You know, teenage years are when a lot of mental illnesses start to sh show their face. And I definitely started to deal with that as well. But um, yeah, I used to have a tape recorder and I used to talk to myself and that was kind of my therapy before I even knew what therapy was or the fact that I might've needed therapy was sort of just talking to myself. And I, now as an adult, I'll go out in the woods and walk and I just speak out loud. I'll just say things that are on my mind. And I found that really, really helpful for me and still is so i can sort of relate to that that's and at a young age like that you got an old soul you know and you've been through a lot and again i, I really hear that in your music i was just been binging your stuff and there's definitely a melancholy that ties itself through a lot of your stuff i agree <laughs> what's interesting for me about the pair of you is you both have a tattoo on your arm which kind of sums up, you know, a theme in your life and your music. Billy has the word lost on her arm. Jesse's got I'm broken too. There you go. Wow. Tattoo crew. And both of those tattoos are tattoos that people who listen to your music have even gone out and gotten because they've really connected with those messages. I'd love to kind of, you know, listen to the pair of you discuss those mantras, philosophies, mm -hmm. calling cards, if you will. Um, maybe, Billy, you first, what that word lost means to you why you decided to get it there and how that's played a theme in your music. I'm sure I've mixed this up somewhere along the way, but uh, there was a movie called Diary of a Lost Girl. And somebody once said I looked like the lady in the show is like from the thirties. Her name was Louise Brooks. Um, and I remember like writing some music about like, you know, diary entries of this lost girl and like finding out about this movie and connecting with it. And then, starting a little indie label and helping out friends and calling it lost records. And then on my first, one of my first like solo musical releases, having like this lost cause, just kind of, you know, weird things you would say on tour or inside jokes, but some of them were pretty meaningful, um, you know, like throw out the map, find your own way, whatever. And so people, I guess, would come across that and relate to it as like half funny and half serious, almost like if we made our own, 10 commandments or something. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't expect anybody to get 
the the tattoo like what do people say to you jesse when they come up to you and they're like yeah i have the same tattoo as you like it means this is what it means to me yeah it's definitely intense but the interesting thing about this tattoo is i got it right when the album dropped and the tour we were on was during the pandemic so a lot of these tattoos i've seen via the internet so i get written you know texts uh not texts you know messages on instagram or and none of them are short they're all these epic long like incredible gut-wrenching stories for the most part whether it's you know dealing with suicidal issues or addiction or the loss of somebody else who was suicidal or addicted it's all tied into that because the song that i wrote is for somebody who um i i basically talked through like a suicidal attempt and um it's something that i've been through many times and i know you've been through it as well and it's something that never leaves you you know i've lost people to suicide um i've been through that frame of mind where you can't see a way out so writing a song about that and, and you can i'm sure attest this as well opening you up yourself that way to people it's difficult but it's so rewarding when you allow yourself to be a part of somebody else's story through your lyrics and that reciprocation of energy i'll be honest with you has kept me doing what i do and has kept me sort of like feeling like i have a purpose because to me music it's fun you know touring's great i know you've you've gone off the road and you teach and you have like a nice home life and since the pandemic i've really enjoyed that as well i've never really had that time to breathe and be settled but a part of me still feels pulled out there on the road because of this particular song it's really been a catalyst for me to continue to speak on it and how important that is you know for somebody who's been through it like yourself too to see that somebody is going i've been there too and that connection is everything for me it's everything for me i'm getting emotional too ah it's 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 intense man but that's that's why i still do it you know that that's the word that stuck out was was the two right because anybody can be broken yeah. but there's power in knowing that you're not alone and we're all a little bit broken since we're all lost causes trying to figure it out and find a way speaking of lost cause what a great beck song <laughs> for a lost cause yes. that song was one that got me through a, a, a depressive episode and that's it too right music music helps me carry through so many dark times in my life and that's why i write what i write that's why i do what i do on social media um and i see that very much mirrored in what you do and the story that you've had and i'm interested not only in you know your music but your journey as well as we're talking about you know canada and, and getting into punk rock but what really struck me when i heard your conversation with matt was your career sort of like being you know put up and having that trajectory and then sort of being stifled so i'd love to get into that in a minute <laughs> and then i went really, by <laughs> really curious about i, like, I gotta stay at home <laughs> that particular story but um yeah again just the lyrics and the when you have that sort of purpose to what you're writing about that just keeps you going i assume and, and you as well and you working with younger people too that's got to be profound teaching kids how to have their own voice that's a whole other thing that i can't even imagine that you go through yeah I'll never say no to a beginner like of any age because it's like, you know, it's not always easy, but it is the most rewarding thing. Like when some kid writes their first song and you are in the same room, it's like, I know how much it changed my life. Like, 
You know, even if you just wrote a song, like hardly anybody can say that. So yeah, it's, um, it all worked out. <laughs> like the road um, wasn't for me. I'm kind of a wussy person. And like, I, when it's nice, it's nice. You know, like when you have, when you have like somebody that like helps you, like that's so nice. Um, but it's not, it's not always easy. And, uh, and yeah, it's just, it's hard when you're kind of a wussy person. So I'm better at home, I think helping people and left to my own devices. And I, I got a dog, which I totally recommend. So you cute. Know? So cute. So, so yeah, what was the question? Well, getting back to your past. <laughs> you, yeah, getting back to your past though, like, so you started getting into music and, you know, you mentioned Nirvana, but where does like your desire to play punk rock come from? Is it directly related to Nirvana or was there a process of like a band that you heard that said you, you were able to go like, I can do that. That's for me. Yeah. For a second, I was like, I don't know. How did it happen? But then it was like, yeah, Bikini Kill. I was at the, I was at the Surrey Central Skytrain station selling drugs. Cause that's what you do when you're a foster kid, you need a hustle. And uh, these two girls were like, Hey, we like your babes in Toyland shirt. And I was like, cool. And they were like, we have a band. We need a drummer. And I was like, I play drums. I did not play drums. So I showed up and they had a drum set and we would just play like uh, hole and bikini kill and babes in Toyland. And at that point, <laughs> you know, to be a young lady and see like other young ladies that were as angry as I was, was hugely inspiring. So we just made a racket for like at least a couple summers. And then I started to, I was always like hiding in the background of all my projects, like backing other people up, um, playing instruments. I didn't play just so I could hang out. And then I had this one set of foster parents and the foster dad was like, he played in like lover boy or some seventies band, like super random like, why am I in your house? But he was like, you have, you write these songs. I know I've heard them. Why don't you just find some guys that'll show up and start a band? He was like, they don't have to be good just as long as they show up. And then you can like, you know, make them good. And if I think about it, that's how, that was like my first music lesson that I taught. I met a really funny guy at a party. I was like, do you want to be in a band? Just like the girls at the Skytrain station just walked up to somebody and was like, you seem funny. Do you want to play bass in this band I'm starting? And he was like, I don't play stringed instruments. And I was like, well, just show up. Like my foster dad played in lover boy. We have all these basses. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was lucky to, to end up in that house, but that was my first musical project. That was like my stuff. And I was probably, I don't know, 18, six years later. Your songwriting is amazing, Billy. I've always just been moved. Your by face is amazing. My face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. I'm holding a candle to the light, ladies and gentlemen. I'm really worried about this getting wax on my laptop, so um, I'm going to move that a little out of the way. Um, yeah, how how long did it take you to find your voice? Because when we first met, you came. She came into this radio studio I was working at, Jesse. I'd not really, you know, dig that deep into her music i'd heard maybe a song that i was like yeah this sounds cool let's get this person in for a session so she came in just with a guitar and the, most of like i won't mention any names but most of the much more successful bands that i had come in to that radio studio to do acoustic sessions would take so long to get the take you know i'd 
kind of be sat there like aren't you meant to be professional musicians and it's like take one take two billy just came in plugged in and just like nailed these three songs first take each time and they were so beautifully written especially the lyrics i'd love to know like how long did it take you to find your voice as a songwriter billy because it seems like when i go back and listen to even your early records there's a distinct worldview and perspective there there's also a distinct style like it's all kind of there from very early on so who were the people for you that were wow. guiding you <clears throat> i don't i don't know but that's a that's a just such a cool thing to hear um it's true i don't know i just i practice a lot like um by the time you saw me in an effort to fix my own brain i'd already done like the 31 covers in 31 days thing a bunch of times which meant like learning a song really fast and then like making a video of it and just trying to like get better. Um, and same with songwriting, like this year I was like, I, I didn't really want to do the cover thing. So I, I tried to write 31 songs in 31 days and from scratch. Just like, yeah. Yeah. And just like any of the stuff, like it's always me, you know, it's always my, it's my voice. Um, but I learned something interesting that I definitely didn't know before was that I thought the first week, you know, it'd be kind of rough. And then by the last week, I'd just be out of ideas and it would be total trash. But when people voted for the songs, the last week was all the songs that people picked. So I think right. if there's like any, I don't know, word of advice or recommendation, it's like, if you practice something, you'll get better at it. So I've just, I mean, I have like probably 300 songs at this point. Wow. You know, like you can think of anything that's happened to you in your life. You can write three songs about that right now. You can write it from your perspective. You can write it from Jesse's perspective. You could write it from the perspective of, you know, the other person in the room. So just that, that, I guess, I don't know. Also lots of trauma, tons of trauma, <laughs> tons. You can speak to that, Jesse, can't you? Channeling the trauma into the art. I can. And I think it's interesting what you say about perspective and songwriting, because it's something that I was dealing with writer's block a lot because I was always coming from my perspective in the moment. You know, I mean, this song is case in point. I am broken, too. It was coming from. A, it was almost like a conversation. I started to see songwriting differently where I could write from somebody else's perspective. I have a song, Cut Me Loose, which is another song about suicide, and it's written completely from somebody else's point of view, it had nothing to do with me at all. And I think that's profound too. being able to have the ability to tell somebody else's story with conviction that it's like your own. That I think is a, the mark of a true good songwriter. And I become sort of a bit of a storyteller because out of necessity, because I started running out of ideas. Like, you know, <laughs> when you're writing songs for a record, for me, at least I get to a point where I just, I don't know if I have anything more to say. And I ran out of steam writing um, an album, two albums ago for Kill Switch Engage called Incarnate. And that's when I decided, like, I, I actually did a study of songwriters that I like, and I listened to them. And some of the most powerful songs were written from different perspectives that weren't about the songwriter particularly. And I think there's a real, that's a huge, anyone who's a songwriter or a musician, that's a huge lesson to take. I love that point you just made, because I think that's something that is, can be very prolific as a songwriter. But yeah, trauma, speaking, to the, speaking of the trauma part, I, yeah, I feel like the the best songs I've written are because of the shit I went through, whether that be self-inflicted or being with somebody who was terrible or, you know, having an addiction or whatever the case may be. 
And I can see that in your music as well. And I'm, I'm curious now that we've sort of like gone a little bit further in your career here, where did you start to see the, the cracks? Where did you start to see you're out there performing? When do you start touring? Does touring have an effect on your mental health? Where do you see that there's mental issues arising? Or did you know that from the early days? Because for me, it took me a while. Oh, to constantly. It took really? me a while to sort Jealous. of get a language, a language for so what lucky. was happening, though. You know, I knew I, something was off, but I didn't really have a language for, oh, this is anxiety. This is depression. This is why I self-medicate and numb. When did that wisdom start to, I don't know if you want to call it wisdom or just the self-awareness that you were not okay. Oh, the shit hit the fan. Like the, it's got to go down, you know, before you're smacked in the face with that. And like, like, what was your deal? Were you like partying on the road? You drink a little too much, try to get through it. Oh yeah. No, I would drink. It's so common. Yeah. Yeah. I would get black. Everybody out there is doing that. (laughs) I'm not diminishing your problems, but it's like, we're, we're creative people Hmm. because we have a lot of problems and this is like our only way to deal with them sometimes. So I don't know. Yeah. You see, you see these different coping mechanisms. I mean, they're Matt's men enough rock stars. Like there's so much dysfunction. And then at a certain point, if you're going to like show up every day and do your job, you kind of have to figure that stuff out right down to like being able to physically sing. You know, like not losing your, like getting to a show and you like can't actually sing because you've been up all night partying, stuff like that, like blacking out and like pissing people off. Like, you know, I'm not saying that's everybody, but um, yeah, my, my little squirrel brain right now is like, you know, if you ever have writer's block, call me because <laughs> I think there's like, you know, even if nothing comes of it like working with other people and learning a bunch of songs, like the study that you did about other songwriters, you know, like there's so much to be learned about everything. There's so much out there. Um, We hit writer's block a lot of times because we have already told our own story. So unless like a bunch of shit is happening to you all the time, yeah, you're going to feel like you run out of ideas or you're going to have to like look at the thing that happened to you in so many different ways. Like, okay, this one thing happened to me. That was like a big deal. Let's do that again. And it's going to start to feel like disingenuous. But I think when you write like 40 or something songs, I don't know what the number is. Like you kind of process your story. It's a lot like therapy, but you do it on your own time. And I think that's when the, that's when the world really opens up because you're, you're just, you're just painting. You're ma- you're you're in your garden, and every season you're growing different stuff in your garden. Um, when you like, luckily nobody like knew about me, so I could just like write as many bad songs without any pressure. When you're in a situation where people know about you, you have this like, oh, what if everybody hates it? What if it's not as good as the last thing? Or like, what if there's no like song? Somebody gets a tattoo. Like all this stuff is going through your mind. Um, for me, it was always about this room like being in front of people was terrifying talking to people is terrifying (laughs) I mean I'm sure I had like jet laggy moments where standing at a merch table and talking to fans like I really saw that for what it was like an amazing experience but a lot of times I was just like makes me feel weird makes me feel weird that somebody wants to meet me Mm. like that's how low my my self-esteem was so the answer was that every minute of every day I knew that there was something wrong 
Mm-hmm. Even when things were good, how could I be this sad when things are this great? I have everything I want in this moment, and I just want to go home. <laughs> and then I'm at home, and I want to go back out there and you know feel the feel the attention, feel like I did a good job. <laughs> so I think uh, losing everything helps. If you lose everything, then you kind of get a hard reset, and you have to look around and go, what's actually important to me. If it's being in front of people, you'll find a way to do that. You know, maybe be a motivational speaker or whatever, slam poetry, mm. start a new band. Like if it's, if it's writing a song or playing your guitar or whatever, like if you survive, you'll find a way. I like that. Yeah. So, speaking, so how do you survive? Yeah. I was just going to say, so speaking of that, so if you wouldn't mind, I'm, I'm actually curious because when you, you and Matt talked on his podcast, Life in the Stocks, you didn't go too deep into it, but I'm, I'm hyper curious how you ended up in a situation where you were suicidal. You, you did sort of lose everything. When did that trajectory start? When did you start to see success, that road to success? And then what happened to sort of cause you to lose it all, as you say? Um, I've, I think I called it a perfect storm then, and I'll call it that now. It was a combination of knowing something was wrong, being landlocked in the U.S. Um, I'm super fortunate. I got like work visas. So now I have a green card, but I was waiting for the green card to process. So like I couldn't work. I couldn't leave the country. And for somebody that was always gone, literally from 12 years old, to be stuck in a house where I knew nobody. I just I was all the coping mechanisms I had my entire life were no longer there. Nobody had nothing. Just was like landlocked, waiting for time to pass. And everybody in my periphery just kind of dropped off the face of the earth one at a time. Um, And I know now that I wasn't alone, but we we all have moments where we convince ourselves that we are. So I just was convinced that I was truly alone and there was no getting out of this. I was completely trapped. In fact, somebody that I really, like, I super respect, we could talk about who reached out to me randomly, like a couple days ago and was like, Hey, Billy, I just want to apologize for dropping off the face of the earth when all that stuff was going on. It was just a little bit too close to home for me. And I was like, Whoa, because when you're in it, you're just like, you don't think anybody knows what it's like, but a lot, but a lot of people do. So yeah, to to sum it up, um, everything that I had was gone and it wasn't an instant, but it kind of felt like an instant when I realized it. And, um, I was trying to get help and I was in therapy and trying all the medication in the world. And I, so I had a bunch of it and I had a bunch of different kinds and I was like, I can't try anymore. Like, I'm just going to take it all at once. And the cops kicked down my door. And it took me about a week to, I kept asking people what happened. It took me about a week to, like, know who I was. So I, like, I I feel like I really went to the other side, you know. (laughs) And all my issues with my memory did not get better. (laughs) So yeah, waking up in the hospital and, uh, and people would just be angry because I'd ask what happened and they'd tell me and then they would say things like, well, yeah, you said that last time. Like I was just having the same conversation with people 
for like a week. So anybody who was left at that point was like, well, she's lost her goddamn mind. So, you know, all the best. It's a long road back, isn't it? So how do you begin that physically and mentally? I mean, I think as we've stated, you, you kind of got to take stock. And I've had to take stock a couple of different times, a couple of different ways. Um, a lot of times I thought I lost everything or I thought I was at bottom. But then you really get to see bottom. You know? Yeah, and there's I always think, deeper to go, isn't there? <laughs> right, just when you think you can't take any more. Um, the, what flipped the record is... Okay, say you die, okay? You're dead, it's over. But then you wake up and you're back. Like, what would you change? And the answer is to do all of that right now. Doesn't matter what it looks like. You know, the idea that we are passive, like passengers in our environment, I think is a lie. Like we really are the creators of our domain. Whether, you know, if your story is one of tragedy or whatever, you you invent that and that's that's a hard thing to accept like well my life is shit like why would i do this to myself you know like well what if what if there was like a world where all the things that happened to you like gave you something in in exchange and when i started to think like that like yeah of course i would do that of course i would meet all those crabby people and go through that terrible time and like be on the brink of my life if it meant waking up and like actually seeing the world for the first time and like thinking like I get a I get another chance like I can do whatever I want because this is just the bonus level I'm like I'm this is that level in Super Mario World where like you beat it and they all turn into like Mario heads like I made it there I feel that way too I broke my back as you know um eight years ago it was this December and I felt exactly the same when I came to eventually, um, you know, after a few days of just being like in that, you know, purgatory space and you begin to kind of, you know, reawaken as it were, you do see the world differently. You see the world as brand new, like anything's possible. And you are right. Like, I think it is hard for some people to accept if they're not happy in their life. Like, oh, I've created this situation, but it's maybe not that they've created a bad situation. It's just that they haven't been active in the creation of a good one. And that's the key, isn't it, is like to participate in your own life to such a way where you do change the course and not just kind of look around you and look for reasons everywhere else as to why things are shit. And sometimes you do need to take that long, hard look in the mirror, don't you, and just go, okay, this is what's led me to this point. What do I change from here going forward? And you like literally couldn't walk. Like, so I bet just getting out of the bed was like, I can go get my own coffee. Like mm-hmm. I can go do anything I want to go to the bathroom on my own after three months. You know? That was a big one. After three months of, you know, having to ring a bell every time you got to do your business to finally get that independence again, you know, ego and, and things like that go pretty quickly out the window and, and humility and gratitude come right to the forefront when you're like, wow, I can actually like stand up and take a piss again. <laughs> the little things and it doesn't mean that (laughs) you know no nobody's at fault like you you know you're not to blame if if you have a moment where you're just like ah thing this sucks you know that that happens that's supposed to happen um 
the, I think that the change and we've all been there is just like kind of sitting in it and being like, well, this sucks. Stupid life that I hate. Like you don't have to hate your life. You can actually do whatever you want. Like you can literally do anything you want right now. Like you can quit your job right now. Well, we're all here because we chose to not get a job, right? <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's it's a hard road. And like, you know, talking at the start of the show about how this time we're in for people like us um, is challenging. But you can always go from, from the flip side. You can quit your job at any time. You can also quit being like a creative person at any time. Well, I don't know. Can you? Let me ask you this, Billy, because the music industry, from what I know and what you've told me of your journey, you know, didn't treat you the best. And, you know, I feel like your spirit was broken by the business side of things, but yet here you are still in a room surrounded by music and art <laughs> and fun. Stupid and, industry. And, and you found a way to continue to do this thing that you love doing so much. So I guess my question would be, if it's in you, that desire and that need and that want, do you just find a way no matter what? Because you could have quite easily walked away from music for forever after everything that happened to you. Yeah, I did for a bit. And, and that was a good break, you know, but it's like, I'm still that kid in a forest with a sad notebook, you know, if a tree falls in the forest, and nobody heard my album like that, I would be fine with that. You know, it was always the, it was always the, the noise, you know, and I, but I think there are other people and I have, I have to be empathetic to the live thing, you know, that you guys feel like that's just being ripped away from you, not only your livelihood, but like your, your thing, like performing, making really loud music in an energetic room full of people. Like, you know, all these things are valid. Um, but I think you got to ask yourself, well, I, you don't have to do anything, but I ask myself questions all the time. Like if it was all over, you know, what, what would I want to be remembered by? What would I wish I had done? You know, and every day I just try to wake up and do that. And if every day I'm like, oh, I wish I did anything or was more productive or had a hobby, like I'm, I'm probably not like that happy in my life anyways. So there's like a, you know, creativity is important, but there's like a larger life thing that those kinds of questions push you towards this, you know, you can wake up and just decide you aren't a novelist, whatever you thought was your thing, you can change it like at any moment. And there's a, there's a certain amount of like, you know, privilege. You do have to sometimes get two jobs that you hate. You do have to live in the muck for a bit to sometimes get to the point that you want to be. Um, but those small changes, like, answering the question, am I, am I a creative person or, or do I just work at Starbucks? Like, who am I really? What's really important to me is, is the thing, the answer to the question. It's funny. I don't know. I don't have any answers. Look at me. Look at my shirt. <laughs> no, but I None think of us do, Billy. I think that what you're saying is, is very profound. And going back to what you said earlier about sort of like looking at your life and going, well, what comes next? That's up to you. And that's, it sounds like a very simple statement. Um, but when you're dealing with people, you know, especially for me, in my case, the conversations I've had with people who um, have been in, you know, suicidal frames of mind, it, it is that eureka moment when you come out of that dark space and you realize that something as simple as 
getting out of bed, getting dressed, going out for a walk in the sunshine. And you're like crying, like, oh, my God, life is so fucking beautiful right now. Why was I even Look at all this world everywhere? Yeah, you know, everywhere. Like, it, it's such a simple thing, but it's I think it's one of the most prof- profound things I have in my life and in my arsenal. You, you mentioned I love you're talking about things that you're able to do to like change the way you think and feel and help cope because, you know, depression, anxiety, those things, you know, bipolar, that, that doesn't go away. That is going to be your partner for life. So either you learn how to to dance or you're going to be fighting and you're going to be disheveled mm-hmm. and it's going to take over your life and ruin you. And to, to learn how to deal with that and have those beautiful, profound moments to me. And I had one recently, just a couple of weeks ago, not even a week, maybe about a week and a half ago. And I had that moment where I had tears in my eyes and I'm sitting there in the middle of the forest, sun's hitting my skin. And I'm like, I fucking love life. Like, why have I been stuck in bed for days? Just it's all me. I'm the one in control of this. And I've learned ways to cope with it. And a huge part of that has been obviously the music, but also just the connection to people. And that's why Matt and I even started this podcast. We're just sitting in the middle of a pandemic and I was spiraling like I've lost my identity per se. I didn't, but I thought I did. It's like, who am I outside of being this guy on tour and stage in front of thousands of people and they're all going crazy? Like, who am I? And that I'm so grateful that I went through that and and continue to go through that because it changed everything. And it sounds like you really had those moments. You were kind of forced to have them, I guess. And you took a, a bad situation and made it good. And I love the fact that you took that situation, which, you know, we don't have to get into too much detail about what happened to you in the music industry. Um, but it sounds like, you know, you were given a shit deal. Some shit went down, which is unspoken. You can talk about it if you want to, if not moving on, but, but you, were, you were able to springboard off of that. And, and now you are what I think is super important, a teacher of kids. And I love the idea. And I've heard you say this in more than one interview you enjoy seeing other people. You're sort of like getting behind them and giving them that push. And I can't even imagine how rewarding that's got to be with all the shit that you deal with in your head to see other people blossoming around you because of your support. That's got to be a whole other level. So how did you get to there? I think we should go from this, this darkness and springboard into like what you're doing now, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How did I get there? You How'd know, you wind for, up in for, Alabama, first of all, Billy? Let's maybe start there. I met there. a pedal steel player, and it, it didn't work out. But I was like, <laughs> my dog's going to have a better life if I just stay here. Um, but, you, you know, when you're standing in a room of, of energetic people and there's music in the air and it's got, it's got a feeling to it, you know, it's essentially because you realize you're not alone. You're all in this moment together. And it's so powerful because there's like a bunch of people that are right there with you. And it's super cool to be like at the forefront of that, like with the song that you wrote or the band that you're in or to, you know, affect people in any way. And the more that I thought about it, the more that it came back to that. It was the letters that people send you about why they got the tattoo. It was like, well, really why I kept playing music when I was like pretty shy and it was like awkward a lot um, is because I felt like it helped people. And I, I went to school because I wanted to be like an English teacher or something when I was like, you know, 19. And it was because I thought, well, I could like change a bunch of kids lives like once a year. And I forgot that I, I started playing punk rock shows because I was like, well, you could change like, like 
30 people's lives a night instead of like 30 kids a year. I'm like, I'm bad at math, but though I like those odds. So it came back to, do I really like, yeah, love music. Music's fun and everything, but I always wanted to help people, you know, with my degree in spelling or whatever. Like I want, I want you to find the thing that you like. And if it's music, maybe I can help you. So I think when there was, there was enough hard resets, enough of the world pushing me down and going, okay, I get it. And then being like, okay, I totally didn't get it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not alone. There's a lot, there are a lot of cool people out there, you know, some of them are in faraway cities, but maybe they have something in common with me. And maybe I've picked up something, even if it's like some music industry, stupid thing that can help them in their future. So I think, yeah, that, I think that's maybe the answer. I love that, you know, people like yourself, and we've had so many of them on this show, when you meet someone that goes through really hard times, it can have one of two outcomes, right? It can make the person like a spiteful, hateful, toxic, angry person because of everything they've been through. They become part of that system of abuse and stuff. Or you get the other side, which is people like you who go through like a hard time and, and that makes them better and kinder and more loving and more generous and wants to change the world for the better. It's a cool thing. It's an inspiring thing. Well, time helps, you know, like if you called me maybe four years ago, <laughs> in fact, like we tried to play a couple of shows not too long ago, I guess it was pretty long ago now, but you know, the running joke is that like, we all hate tour and mm -hmm. like you pull into the place and you're like, well, this is going to be a joke. You know, and you just like loathe every situation that you're in, even when it's pretty awesome, right? You get in the car and you're like, well, that show sucked, even when it was amazing. Um, so it, like that thread is always there, you know? But you clearly have a deep-rooted love for people. That hasn't gone anywhere. You know, you might not like being on the road. You might not like playing shows. Parts of the music industry that, you know, have shown its kind of negative side, you don't like a lot of that, but there's something in you that still wants to help people. By any means necessary. I didn't expect to hear that today. It's been a long road. You know, we all have a story. <laughs> uh, me and my problems, I realize, are not are not that special. But it, it took it took some time to get to that point. So, and I still get to look at that every day. But I, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to miss out anymore. You know, I don't have to be a victim of my own life. And I'm not like super religious or anything, but. If I ask myself, if you could learn all these things, but you have to go through this situation, of course I would do it. Of course I would make my younger self go through all that. If it meant I could, you know, wake up every day and be like, how am I getting away with this? It's crazy. Look at all my cables. Like who needs this many cables? <laughs> <laughs> and it's not about stuff. It's just like, this is like my, my bouncy house room, you know? Well, it's gratitude, you know, and that's, it's important. Not everybody can do what you do. Not anybody can do what Matt and I do. Like, yeah, we've worked towards it, but I think that our lives have shaped us in a way where we were open to, to live this type of a life. And there is something inherently good. I believe in all, all three of us, if I can be so bold, because there is a love for people. There is a desire to sort of let people tell their stories in Matt's case, or a desire for, 
you and I to reach out to people and let them know they're not alone and have that connection through music. It takes a certain type of person to take, like Matt said, take a, a, a hard story or a dark place and turn it into your light, turn it into your reason for continuing on and to affect people. And that's a blessing. And when you can sit in gratitude, you know, sit in your little studio and swivel your chair around and you see your, your dog pizza and, and your nice chairs and your, all that stuff. Look at perfect. All that stuff, you know, if you sit in gratitude and you realize you are very fortunate to have that, that's another thing I think that I carry with me on a daily basis that has really changed me. And it hasn't only, it hasn't been like this forever, but during this pandemic, I made a vow to myself every single morning. And, and you're talking about, you know, God, I grew up in a very religious home and I deprogrammed myself from a lot of that stuff. But the, the notion of something that is there has stayed with me. And every morning before I do anything, I say, thank you. I wake up with gratitude in my heart and I'll list through everything. My cats, like silly things, you know, like just Wait, how much cats you got? Two cats, two cats, Lily okay. and Boo. names. Lily and okay. Boots. thank you. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, it's fine. I absolutely love them. And uh, when I'm here alone, I have full conversations with them. I th they don't talk back, obviously, but I'm a total cat dad. It's it's I'm sure it would annoy the shit out of people if they knew how bad it was. But I love those <laughs> little I love those little things. They're so funny to me. They're such funny little characters. <laughs> but, you know, little things that I think what I'm trying to say is that gratitude is huge. And you just mentioned that. And I think that's something that has helped me too. Is like, no matter how bad shit gets, you have to sort of sit back and go, it's, it could be a lot worse. It's not so bad. And that helps. And me. let's not forget, like when you're legitimately depressed, it is hard to do. Yes. Like it, you, you're going to need to call somebody like a friend or a professional. This is not just like, Oh, just be, just do some positive about it. Like, you know, when you're in, when you're in it, it's not as easy as just waking up and being like, oh, I have two cats. <laughs> Well, here I go. <laughs> right. But um, you do that every day. I think I've missed a few days, but yes. Yes. <laughs> I'll go to do like pick the phone up and check my email or whatever. And I'm like, I, I will steady my hand and go, no, no, not yet. Sit and just sit. And that's sort of a form of meditation as well. You know, it's a brief thing, but it changes your mind because if your first thought is gratitude, it kind of sets the pace for the rest of your day. So when shit hits you and you're like, this sucks, you're like, all right, you it's almost like a mantra. Like, at least I've got a home. I've got a roof over my head. My refrigerator has food. Like those little things have really helped a lot, but you're right. You, you can't understate the fact that sometimes you just need to ask for help and get help because every episode is different for me. Sometimes it's like a nice walk out of nature. My depression starts to fade. And other times that shit's like an albatross on my back for two weeks and I can't get fucking rid of it. And could you imagine if I was like, why don't you just go for a walk when you're in it? You'd be like, I, I thought I liked people, but I hate you now. <laughs> totally. I know. I know. It's funny. Well, it's like everything, isn't it? It's hard work and the rewards come from the work. And uh, I'll tell you what, at the start of this episode, I wasn't in the best place just because of the kind of looming stress of financial concerns. But you know, as this podcast always does, I now feel like I could go out and take 10 punches. Um, it's been amazing. What a great job. I hope chat. you don't go looking for punches. No, I'm not going to look for that. I'm just that. saying if it came my way, <laughs> I could withstand it because this show every week and, and, you know, you, Billy, in my life, you've always been somebody who is a, a figure of 
you know, inspiration and friendship. And, um, you know, you know, I have a lot of love and respect for you. I hope, you know, anyway, and, uh, it's been really cool watching you two connect over a lot of common ground today. I think Billy, do you feel like singing some music? We've never done this before, but it's the last episode of the year. I don't want to put you on the spot. No, no, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not ready. I'm not a performing I'll monkey. I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm learning uh, 12 days of Christmas songs. So the only thing I know right now is Christmas music. And you do not want to hear that. <laughs> I do. I love Christmas music. Sure. Go ahead, dude. Let, let me, give me some notice next dude, time. Let, I'll have something prepared. Okay. What, about okay. pizza, what about pizza? Can pizza perform something? <laughs> you know some Being tricks. dainty. Oh, so cute. She knows she's being talking about. She knows ridiculous tricks like who's the best dog ever, and she goes, "No way!" Can you can you yeah. show that? Can you do that right now? Try it. I'll have to get some uh, treats oh, here. Treats. Talk oh. amongst yourselves. All right. Yeah, we'll end it that way. I think that's a good way to end. It. <laughs> <laughs> what a great talk, right? Like honestly, I feel instantly more elevated than I did at the start. Well, that's what it's all about, man. You know, perspective and, you know, it's not easy, dude. I, I do feel for you. I'm, I'm sorry what you're going through, man. That sucks. But yeah, it's be, it's nice to be able to have conversations and sort of lift your own spirits, I guess, you know. Yeah, it works every time as well. Every single time. Oh, oh wow. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Right. If you're not watching this on YouTube you're right now, out. you are missing out. Pizza, who's the best dog ever? That's right. It's you. Oh Pizza, who, who, who's your best bud? Oh, it's me. Thank you. <laughs> Pizza, uh, what does a direwolf do? That's correct. She attacks. <laughs> what else you got? Uh, high five. Yeah, best buds, best buds. And then what else you got? Uh, roll over. <laughs> you can do it. You can do it. Roll over. Come on. You can do it. Eat my own tail. Do that instead. Come on. You can roll over. You can do it. You can do it. Come on. Roll over. Come on. Oh, man. Roll I just want a dog so yeah. bad. Oh, there we go. Oh, I love it. Round of applause for pizza yeah, that's there. A great way to end the show. I love oh, that. Good job. Thanks, pizza. <laughs> Billy, I want to get you hooked up before we go. So um, do you have any space in your diary for, for lessons of any kind? If anybody watching this wants to either yeah, learn themselves yeah. or get them, their kids some, some lessons with you, what do you teach and how can people go about contacting you to find out your availability? Pretty easy to find Billy Pettinger or if you look up uh... – Billy the Kid online is my website, but I teach guitar, piano, singing, um, and I've been doing songwriting, which starts out as like a couple weeks of coaching, and then if you want to, we can start co-writing, but it's all ages. Like, I've got a couple retired grandmas that like always wanted to play an instrument and just started. My youngest student uh, has been five. My oldest was 74, so like, it's never too late. Mm. Maybe you play guitar and you've always wanted to learn piano. Like, you know, you can sign up for a month and try it. And then if you like it, you can keep learning stuff. And you can switch too is the other thing. You could do like guitar for a month and then piano for a month if you want. Amazing. So it sounds well, like a commercial. Well, no, 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 it's good. We'll link it up in the episode description as well because, you know, I think that um, teaching is something that has to be enjoyable for the student, right? Like you can't just go in to learn. You want to enjoy the process too. And it sounds like, you know, you have a lot of fun with your students and, and it's not just all work. It's, it's creativity oh, yeah. and joy and enjoy. Yeah. It. It's just like whatever you want to learn. That's what we'll do. And I think, I don't think I'm like the best musician, but I've had a lot of bad teachers. So I think I'm, I'm okay at teaching because I will not waste your time 
in fact my whole deal is like what's the fastest way to do this like i'm lazy so let's just like get you learning your song as soon as you can every kid's dream yeah that's totally totally me too i i'm totally lazy it's it's horrible (laughs) well you two should link up and do some writing workshop stuff as well well you could teach me piano because i'm shit at it i've been trying through the whole pandemic this thing back here and i'm I'm okay with it but i'm not i'm not great by any stretch of the imagination but what a great instrument it is especially if you're a singer i think learning piano is key because and then i know where my voice is on the keyboard that's been huge for songwriting huge it's just all right there it's right yeah yeah and it's a beautiful instrument like beautiful i love piano yeah at some point i will definitely put some solo music out i don't i don't know when but it's gonna happen a piano thing with me i love it i love the piano it's amazing yeah you heard it here first folks yeah we'll see but yeah so i i've really enjoyed dipping into your music catalog i'm I'm definitely gonna continue listening i'm a new fan I, i love what you do and i love that you're affecting young lives and old lives as well as a teacher (laughs) <laughs> your story is inspiring and it's been an honor thank you for coming on truly appreciate you guys it as well thank you so much for having me thank you thanks for being our last guest of the year billy <laughs> going out with a bang um i'll give you a shout and we'll have a catch up properly as well and um yeah thank you for being in my life being an awesome friend and take yeah. care happy holidays as you guys say over there yeah Happy holidays. Peace. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.